As you're finding your way back to your seat, I want to take just a few minutes to um, give you some context. Angie's going to read the scripture in a second. And it comes to us from uh, John 16. The Gospel of John loves portraying Jesus giving very long sermons, which is why I like the Gospel of John. <clears throat> he, goes, he does these long soliloquies, these long messages, and here he's been going on since John 14 about what's coming up, which is very soon, within 24 hours, he'll be dead. He knows that, so he's trying to tell his disciples, here's what's going to happen. He's tried to tell them before, they didn't get it then, and quite frankly, they still didn't get it here. But he's trying to help them understand that everything he's been telling them is going to come to pass, and he's also trying to give to them a message which is still sometimes difficult for us, and it's simply this. They're going to go through some very difficult time. But as they go through it, they're going to discover that the faith he wants to give them gives them an immeasurable joy that can't be taken from them. I want you to listen to the passage as Angie reads it and listen to the illustration he uses to make his point. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one, one another, What does he mean by saying to us, a little while, and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, what does he mean by this, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, a little while, and you will no longer see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. We ask, God, that your power and spirit, your very presence, would now flow down upon and through this room, touching each soul that is here, speaking to us as we have whatever we've brought with us into this room, whether it be our joys and our, our celebrations or our sorrows and our grief, and meeting us where we are, taking us where you need us to go. In the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts and minds today, either become vehicles that help make you more apparent or get out of the way so they will not block what needs to happen. We surrender ourselves into you, for you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
This morning, I want to begin first by speaking to my Michigan State Spartans. I want to acknowledge that this is a tough time for you. When you've been riding a success as much as you've been over the last number of years, to hit such a depth of despair can be very difficult on the soul. I want to speak to your pain today. I want to speak to the sadness that is within you, and yes, I want to speak to your fear that next week you still have to face Illinois before you get to Rutgers to get a win. I want to let you know today, I understand your pain. I know that there may be a sheepishness within you to hide the green a little more than you did last year. I understand why you're reluctant to look in the eyes of those Michigan fans seated around you today. You see the smirk on their face and their condescending way in which they say, better luck next year. Now is the time for you to decide, my Sparty friends. Are you a real Spartan? Did Duffy Doherty ever stop being a Sparty, I ask you? In the game of the century when I was 11 years old, was there a second when Notre Dame didn't feel the full force of Michigan State? Did Kirk Gibson ever say, I wish I were a Wolverine? Do you still have Mark D'Antonio to lead you out of the abyss and into a new future of hope? Is there not, in fact, this truth that no matter what the score or record might be, this is always going to be true? You are and always will be Spartans. The truth is, I really don't care. I'm from Duke. Y'all play it out among yourselves. We don't really care. It's all good. But you understand the point of what I'm making. That is the fact that if you are having a down season, you can still take great pride in being a Spartan or a Wolverine. Or one day some of you might know what it is to be a Blue Devil. That... The fact is, even in down seasons, you are who you are because it is not about the record alone, though that allows you to have happiness or unhappiness. It's about the fact that you have a connection with your university. You made connections when you were on campus. You walked into Brody Hall. You, you toured around the center of campus there off of State Street or wherever it was that you made your connections. And for you, that joy and that sense of meaning and identity is always with you. This is what Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples. Except, instead of losing a football game, he was talking about the fact he was going to die. Instead of being in sadness because they lost a game, the disciples were going to be in sadness because they were going to lose him. And instead of being a little depressed because they won't make a bowl this year, they were afraid of the fact that, in fact, they might be the next ones killed. 
Stakes are a little different. But the message remains the same. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to know this is coming. I want you to know, here the tough stuff is. It's about to be upon you. Be clear about that because I want you to also know this. Even in those times, the faith that I'm giving you is a faith that will allow you to keep joy within you. And that joy will give you strength. That joy will give you identity. And that joy will lead you to action even regardless of the circumstances around you. He uses the illustration, trying to get this point across of the fact that in childbirth, there is this very painful thing that happens physically. It's a very difficult thing to go through. And then once gone through, if all is right, you get to hold a baby that makes all that pain completely irrelevant. He's searching for illustrations to try to help give everyone a way of entering into the truth of what he really needs them to know, and that is this. This is a faith of joy. I want you to know, my children, as disciples, he says, I want you to know that I've come here to give you joy. And whether the illustration I use to carry it forth is football or school loyalty or giving birth, the message is the same. Christians are invited to live in joy. And joy is greater than happiness. Happiness is so fleeting. Happiness is relevant only to the circumstances around you. Today, Wolverines are happy. Sparties are sad. Last year, same game. You understand? It comes and goes. You can't even control it because mostly you're dependent on stuff outside of you giving you happiness. The joy of the Lord is not dependent on things outside of you. It's dependent on one thing only, and that's your connection and your relationship to Jesus Christ. We know that in human relationships, we can find both joy and sadness. We know that in human relationships, we can discover one day that our hearts are broken. They can be broken because of human frailty, and they can leave within us feelings of disappointment, and sometimes even emotional scars. And the happiness we find in our relationships with human beings normally is limited to that relationship and doesn't go very far beyond us. But the joy of the Lord is found in a relationship that will not disappoint us. Because we have over 2,000 years of experience of discovering this Jesus Christ who invites us into relationship is never in any moment unfaithful to us. This Jesus Christ continues to be focused on serving and being with us and guiding us and has never abandoned us, never abandoned us, winning or losing season alike. Christ is faithful. Christ is constant. And as we continue to work and develop in our relationship with him, we discover that and our joy increases. This is why the Apostle Paul, who had felt betrayal and persecution and shipwreck and he was imprisoned and threatened to death and in fact killed for his faith, could write to us, nothing, nothing, none of the stuff going on in my life can take the joy of Christ from me. Nothing will ever separate us from the great love of Jesus Christ our Lord, he writes in Romans 8. Our relationship with Christ gives us a certainty of that joy. Christians, by very nature, are called to be people who are defined by joy. We ought to be the people, if we're living in that context of relationship, that the world says, that's a joyful group of people. 
What a contrast that is sometimes for how Christians are often described. Downers. Party poopers. Judgment-focused rather than joyful lifting. And the joy that we have as Christians is called to both serve as a way of giving invitation and impact. Joy, living joyfully in this world stands out. Whether you do so by just your actions or your words, it, it, it's an invitation for people. They say, I want to be a part of your joy. How are you able to be so happy? How are you able to be so strong during this time of adversity? Their action invites questions. And if not, Spoken questions, thought questions. And the joy we have has impact because we make decisions to live in a particular way that go out in ripples beyond us. Now, we're not blind to the reality of the world around us. We know that there are challenges and trials and tribulations and and terrible things and injustice, and all of those things are true. But the joy of our faith allows us to stand in the middle of those moments and proclaim faith and joy that won't be washed away by, well, whatever might be trying to take them away. We live in joy, and we act in joy that makes a difference in people's lives. So how do you have that joy? Well, simple. You continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. I can't manufacture the joy for you. I can't manufacture it for me. I can chase after being happy, And once in a while, I can make myself happy, or I get you to make me happy. Reality is happiness oftentimes is so fragile that it becomes the thing we're addicted to. Christ says, I want you to have joy. How do you have that? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. We we handed out crosses on the 175th anniversary, and we put them in our hands, and Hopefully you still have yours and are using them still as as objects of prayer for consideration. They fit there so we can focus on Christ and be engaged in prayer. A couple weeks ago after that, we talked about how how to take stock of our prayer life and our conversation as we're growing closer to Christ. And so I ask you again four simple questions. How often are you praying? How long are you praying? Because I've come to discover the time you spend with people varies by their importance in your life. The longer you linger with them, the more you develop relationship with them. How long are you lingering with God and in Christ to become closer to him? What are you praying for? This is an awareness that I've come up in my life. I realize that even on days when I'm praying frequently and doing it for a long period of time, I may, in fact, only be covering a narrow narrow area of focus. I just keep praying about the same thing because it's what I'm focused on. I just keep hammering away at God like this proverbial nagger until I get God to do what I need God to do. Can I get an amen? Amen. But maybe my prayer life, instead of me trying to do that, is to allow myself to be open to discovering outside of that issue that may very well be important, to see around me what else God might be doing. That God actually is moving in places I'm not even seeing God until the prayer allows me to see it. 
that I begin to expand my awareness of God in the world and my experience of Christ in my life. And so that one thing that has a hold of me might be surrendered to so much a broader understanding of God. How narrow is your prayer life? What are you praying for? And then what are the results? If it's a narrow focus, my prayer result is how much I to get God to do what I need God to do, which is sort of an interesting way of thinking about it, isn't it? Or, in what way is my prayer life reshaping me in the image of God? Helping me to see a broader perspective that I can see on my own and finding the joy. Last week, we talked to you and thought about what it is to live as hope in the world. In this world right now we're living in, did you, do you, are you aware of a hope deficiency going on? Do you understand the power of the impact of your life, your individual life, and our then corporate life together if we only dare to act as if we are living hope in the world, hope in Christ? sends ripples into the world. Today we're called to live in joy. And it comes out of this process of prayer and discernment and growing closer to Christ. I can't just be joyful because my life's doing okay because there'll be a day when my life isn't doing okay. And where's my joy then? Jesus Christ had a message of hope and change and assurance mixed with power in this world. He called for us to live in joy. You remember when he came into the world, we're going to talk about his birth coming up in December. The main message to the world was what? Fear not. All the angels were running and saying, hey, quit fearing. Fear not. Fear not, shepherds. Fear not, you wise men. Fear not, Mary. Fear not, Joseph. Quit being afraid. You've got to lay down your fear to be open to what God wants to give, which is what? Joy to the world. It's it's replaced with joy. In the middle of a dark little town in Bethlehem, where all the issues of the world were still germane, they sang carols of joy and celebration because Christ was close. And then he comes into the world, he grows up, and he starts his ministry, and people are changed, and healing miracles occur, and people are called, and then he's riding the high of everything, and then, boom, I'm going to be killed. And this great Broadway musical that's been going on in his ministry crashes to the ground until he comes to his disciples and says, listen, I'm going to die. Have joy. Because death will not be the last word. And they discovered that it was true. There are tragedies so painful around us they cause us to feel like we're frozen in despair. There's grief that can imprison us with pain and sadness. We all experience these. And there are consequences of our actions that can lead to destruction of human relationship and death of long-held dreams. There is injustice in the world. All of these things are true. And none of them can steal our joy from us if our joy is found in our relationship with a God who will never not be faithful to us. Live in joy. We are called to be the people living with that joy to bring that kingdom of God into the world. That's what we do collectively. That's why we are here together today. The best impact we have in the world is when we as a family of faith act 
together to do things like have a silly night, to raise money, to feed people in our community who come to us for food and look for assistance when they're desperate and their utilities are being shut off. And all manner of things that we do to walk with people in times of trial. That's impact in the world. That's living joyfully in the world and giving hope and joy to others. Apostle Paul talked about it this way. I constantly am praying with joy in my heart for every one of you because when we're together, joy is increased. We are the church of Jesus Christ today. I want you to hear that again. You are the church of Jesus Christ. In this community and in this world today, the gathering of you in this room is a proclamation that we are going to align ourselves with the agenda of Jesus Christ. That's why we have joy. We have hope. And we act in those ways that make a difference in the world. So we have this pledge card that we all got recently, and we're turning in pledge cards right now, committing our time and our talents. And it's our chance to live in joy. We get to partner together to change the world by the sharing and pooling of our resources to something that is greater than ourselves. We're not simply paying for utilities or staff salaries or curriculum. We are living in joy as we make possible what only can happen in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we act by filling out our pledge cards, by coming to Mission Possible, by putting clothes in a travel trailer that's going to go up and be handed with respect and dignity to people who need them for the winter to come. That's joyful living. And it doesn't matter the score yesterday. It doesn't matter at all. This has been a tough week. We've been dealing with a lot of death in our congregation. A lot of grief. Yesterday we had a funeral here that would have been really painful had just the family been here to grieve the loss. But the family wasn't just here. There were friends around them and there were people of this faith community with them to represent you, to be faith family to them, to let them know in this very difficult time of their life the joy of Christ is not lost. And we will walk with them and alongside them until that joy can once again bring healing. That's what our faith is about. One of the great joys about this ministry that we all share together is we get to be in the front row watching what happens when God moves in people's lives. And it brings joy. In the next few minutes, we're going to have new members join the church. The Tabers are here, sitting in the front row. The Stones are sitting right over there, and they're going to come up too. And we had others joining at the 9 o'clock service. You know what? They didn't have to be here today. They saw other churches. And they still picked you. They're leaving a church that's been their faith home for decades. And they're here asking you to love them into faith. 
day of joy because we're going to learn things with each other. And we're going to become family with each other. And every day, including this one, we get to decide, do we we want to be a part of the family of joy? It is the relationship we have in Jesus Christ. And as you act in all the ways you're being invited to act, I know there's a whole list. Do them all. Do a few. But whatever you do, do in the joy of the Lord. Because God is blessing us. And God is going to use us and is to be joyful ambassadors, ambassadors to the world, regardless of the score or the situations around us. Thanks be to God.